There go the kids. So here we go. You know, some Sundays I, I look forward to preaching, but other Sundays I just can't wait. Y'all know that, right? Because I say that all the time. But I just can't wait. And this is one of those Sundays. So uh, strap in, hold on, put your seatbelts on, uh, pull your feet in a little bit. You might hear from the Holy Spirit this morning, and I pray that you do. And we've all prayed in advance that you would hear. Um, but I want to I share something with you. And uh, I meant to share this before prayer time, but it still works. Uh, the pastor of a small church would occasionally call on one gentleman to pray. And every time this one particular guy would pray, he would pray, Oh God, thank you for this word today, and bless these people today. And he would end his prayer with the strangest statement. And he said, And oh God, oh Lord, prop us up on, on our leaning side. And every time the pastor would call on him to pray, he would pray, Oh Lord, prop us up on our leaning side. And finally, the pastor pulled him aside and he said, man, I love the way you pray, but I don't understand your, your little closing phrase there. And what are you talking about, prop us up on our leaning side? Well, he responded, well, pastor, I'm a farmer. And I live out on the farm and, you know, I live in the country and, and I've got this old barn. And, well, it's been there a long time. It's been through a lot of weather. It's been through a lot of storms. It's been through a lot, this old barn. And a lot of bugs have kind of eaten away at it. And he said, I got to looking at it one day when I was riding my tractor. And I noticed that it was leaning to one side. And I thought to myself, oh no, the barn is leaning. And it's just a matter of time before the whole thing falls. You ever drive by one of those barns on the road? You're like, how is that physically even possible? So he continues, so you know what I did? He said, I went and got some pine beams and I propped it up on its leaning side. He said, it still leans and it probably always will, but I propped it up on its leaning side. And it's not going to fall down because I propped it up on that leaning side. And I got to thinking about it. And when I was on the tractor, Pastor, I was riding in that field and about the kind of year I've had and the storms I've been through and some of the people that are bugging me and eating away at my joy and eating away at my spirit. And I just got to thinking, you know what? I'm still here. I'm still standing after all of the stuff that I've been through. The storms, the howling winds, they couldn't topple me. And I'm still standing by the grace of God. And he concluded, from time to time, Pastor, I find myself leaning. Leaning toward my old desires. Leaning toward anger. Leaning toward becoming bitter or hateful at the people who are really bugging me. Or leaning toward going back to the old habits of the old life that I used to have. And Pastor, he said, when I find myself start leaning toward that tendency... I just remember that old barn and I pray out loud on my tractor, Lord, I thank you that you prop me up on my leaning side. I thought that was a beautiful picture of how God helps us in our deepest time of need, emotionally, physically, spirit, whatever it is. We're leaning. We, oh, Lord, I don't think I can make it. And the Lord, Lord takes that and just, Props us up on our leaning side. Just, just incredible. 
Well, as I said, and I want to give you some of these cards here this morning. I'm going to pass them out. Why are y'all looking at me like that? <laughs> I'm going to pass a few out over here. I'm going to pass a couple out over here. I'm going to pass some out over here. And there's more at the Welcome Center. Honey, you got a lot now. You better invite some people. That's how we invite people. Don't throw them at the people in the grocery store. That's not polite. But I want to encourage you one more time to invite some friends to the Easter service. we got some new songs we're going to do. we got a celebration of Christ's resurrection. And we, uh, it's going to be a good time. So come on out. Invite them to the Easter breakfast. And to stay for the Easter service. It's going to be good stuff. All right. We've been in this sermon series, Unqualified. This is the end of that series. Thank you so much, friend. My man. My man. But as we've been talking about how God often qualifies the called, He doesn't call the already qualified. Um, You know, sometimes when you're teaching God's Word and you're preaching on a regular basis, you know, people say awkward things to you after you preach sometimes. Y'all know that? And if if you've never experienced that, Uh, I want to encourage you that it happens. (laughs) I want to tell you, uh, there are times when you can can finish whatever you had to say, whatever God's laid on your heart for the people, and you know you've prayed about it, and you think, you know what, God's going to move, and He does, and all of that, and then there's someone at the back of the church, or sometimes they come right up front, and they say say things, they have questions. But the one question, and and the one question that I, I, I... that is my least favorite question. When people come up to me after I preach, they look at me and they say, so how'd you feel about that? You know that sermon? How, how'd you feel about that? And I don't know what's going on in their mind. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. How, I, how, how do I feel about that? Like, what? I don't know. You were in the same sermon. I, I, I felt pretty good about it, right? Until you asked me, should I not feel good about it? Wait a minute, what? How do I feel about that? So I think, all right, is there something I should know? Is there, did, did something happen? You know, was, was Kennywood open the whole time? I don't know. But how did you feel about that? How did you feel like that went? That's the worst question. It's bad on a lot of levels. You could start that question, though, by, by this. Boy, that, I thought that was awesome. How would you feel about it? That, that helps a little bit. Just put that cushion in the beginning. I thought it was great. How would you feel about it? Just that little tag. But that question, how, do you, how did you feel about that? And the reason I don't like that question is because when you're doing something, right, that's sort of ambiguous, right, or like ministry, things that are kind of moving and shaping, and um, where, where you can't always see the effect of it right away, it's hard to know how to feel about that. You know, if it was a sport and somebody won and somebody lost, and you say, well, how'd you feel about that? That's easy to answer. Well, we lost. I hated it. Or we won. It was great. But when you're doing something like communicating God's word or teaching or preaching, a lot of areas of life are kind of like this, not just preaching, but growing spiritually or parenting or trying to be a good husband or wife or a better person. It's hard to, to measure certain things, right? How did you, you feel about that? How do you think you did? It's hard to measure certain things. Win or lose, yeah, we can measure that. I won, I lost. But when you say, how did you feel about that? In many ways, I want to say, well, I don't know. We're going to have to see. We're going to have to see. I mean, if I preached a sermon about giving, we'll have to see if God has stirred hearts to give. 
Or if, if people politely listen, but they will see if people take action. If I preached about serving, you know, if the people serve more, let's see. How did you feel? Well, I don't know. We can't really measure how that went. It's hard to measure certain things. And the world has a system of measurement. And the world's measurement system is very often very different than heaven's measurement system. So when we talk about being qualified, we see what people are capable of. We sort of measure them up. And the world's definition of how do they measure up and heaven's measurement system are very, very different. And so this morning I want to incite a rebellion. I know that's strong. But it's a call to action this morning. I want to incite a rebellion in, her, in your heart this morning. That God would begin a work in your heart that would, that would cause you to be strictly against the world's measurement system. Of how you see yourself and how you qualify yourself. And really, if you're an American, you should be able to do this very easily. I mean, we've been rebelling against the metric system for decades, right? Do you not know that we have been approved to use the metric system for decades as our official system of measurement, but we will not do it. We won't do it. We want nothing to do with your meters, millimeters, and kilometers. We just made that decision. We've dug in as Americans and said, you know what? We're going to do our own thing. We don't really want the whole world, almost, is, is gone, is the metric system. And we're like, mm-mm, not us. Every other developing country measures, we're not going to do it. And I'm just using that, you know, humorously, of course, but sometimes you have to make up your mind as the citizen of the kingdom of God, as a child of God, as somebody who lives under a different system, a different law, the law of grace. You got to say, you know what? The world will, you got to say, I'm not going to do it. I am not going to measure myself the way I am told to measure. I am, I want to talk this morning for a little while about measuring more. Measuring more. And, and this week, the, the, the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, and man, this is my verse. You all know Ephesians 3.20? I'm going to have it up here in a minute. You can turn to it on your Bibles and in your apps. Uh, Ephesians 3.20, because if, if I had a, one of my verses, like this is one of my go-tos. Like this, if I had a crew, this would be part of my crew. You know, like this, this, is, my, this is one of my verses right here. In Ephesians 3.20, Paul is talking about, before he gets to this verse, he is saying how high and how long and how wide the, the love of Christ is, right? He, he's using this measurement talk, and he's saying how long and how wide and deep is the love of Christ. He says it's so beyond our comprehension. It's beyond measurement, really. You can't measure how long and wide and high and deep. You can't even see it with your eyes. You can't even express it with your mouth. You can't even really uh, know it in your heart fully. It's beyond measurement, beyond comprehension. How much God loves you and how great His love is through you and to you. And after he gets done saying all of that, he says this in Ephesians 3.20. He says, now, now, when? Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Listen to this word choice. He's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask 
or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. He goes on to say in 21, To Him be glory, do I have that? To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. But verse 20 said immeasurably more. So how do we measure more if it's immeasurable? I believe God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow and, 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 and increase in our faith and in our dependence on Him. And I believe God Himself is into measurement. As a matter of fact, I can prove it. Scripturally, if you were to go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, there's only one. It's not Revelations. There's only one. If you were to go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20 run, 21, right around verse 17, where the new Jerusalem is being measured, it's, it says something kind of interesting to me. It says this, Revelation chapter 21. The angel measured the walls using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. It was, you, the, the key there is human measurement. It was as wide as it was long, and as long as it was wide. So it had perfect dimensions, this new Jerusalem, this city that's going to come in the book of Revelation. And we're not going to dive in. You can do that in your own personal study time. But that's the new Jerusalem. So God is into measurement. It had perfect dimensions because everything, hear me church, everything that God builds, He builds according to a specification. And that is true in your life as well. What God built... He built by design. And the dimensions of the design are perfect for the purpose that He desires for that thing or that purpose to serve. Now, I hope you heard me on that because I'm not going to say it again. You know, some preachers say, I'll say that again. Nope, we're moving on. That's why the psalmist said this in Psalm 139. I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You made me just right. God, you created me. You formed me. And the measurements, and I'm not talking, you know, we're jumping into metaphorical mode, right? I'm not talking about your physical measurements, but God, you made me just right. You have put in me what I need to accomplish what you have for me here on earth to do. You made me just right. You're a masterpiece in God's image. God doesn't make junk. But then it says something very interesting, if you were to read the rest. After the walls were measured using human measurement, using the measurements of man, the writer says that the walls were found to be made of jasper. That's interesting because human measurement measures how long, how wide it is. But jasper, anytime you see jasper in the scripture... Uh, It has multiple meanings. And the book of Revelation uh, is very symbolic in its language, right? So it may not necessarily mean that is the jasper stone, but it also, anytime you see jasper, it represents the shining of God's glory. So when when John was able to see uh, in heaven that picture that he got the revelation from God, John saw this, it's this jasper, it's this... Anytime God's glory was present, this idea of jasper was written down by John. And so it represents the shining of God's glory, particularly in the book of Revelation with all this symbolism. 
And I think maybe God is trying to show us that sometimes we need to measure not just how long or wide or big or fast something is, but we need to measure what it's made of. And I know this is an Old Testament story we're going to get into here, but and maybe, maybe it'll relate to your, to your, uh, to your life today. Um, when Israel was sizing herself up as a nation. Remember, uh, you know, the, we're talking about measuring, so I'm going to give you some physical measurement. Uh, and if anybody falls asleep, I'm coming. There we go. And everybody just cringed because I almost broke the pulpit. But maybe this will relate. When, when, when Israel was sizing herself up, right, as a nation, and they compared themselves to all the other nations, one thing that discouraged the, the Israelite people, the people of Israel, was that they, they didn't have a king, a real, a real person, a king to lead them into battle and to lead them. You know, God wanted to be the king of Israel, right? That was his plan. He wanted them, them to look at him as their king. He wanted to be the king of his people. But they wanted a visible king, a, a physical person. Some of you know this, uh, because they always wanted, we, we, we always want to trust in something that we can physically see, right? We want to put our trust in something we can see. God wants to be their king, but they're like, we need, we need someone that we can touch. You know, like, we need a king. And that's kind of what leads to idolatry a lot of times. Trying to trust in something that I can perceive with my senses rather than just trusting in God. And, and we might have to actually believe in faith. So they wanted a king. So they picked out a king. God gave them a king. Do you know sometimes God will allow things in your life, even if it's not what's best what He has for you, because He's given you that free will. He'll allow some things in your life. And, and they got this king, and his name was Saul. Everybody say Saul. Not like I saw them down at the... No, Saul, S-A-U-L, Saul. Saul. Now, something about Saul, the Bible tells us that Saul was handsome and Saul was tall. Saul was tall. Saul was a head above everybody else. A head above. A cut above. Saul. Tall Saul. That's how you remember it. Tall Saul. Better call Saul. Better call Tall Saul. So they called Tall Saul to be their king because Saul was tall, y'all. I have the actual stick that I'm beating the dead horse with. (laughs) But they called Tall Saul, y'all. And so they chose their king by height. By height. And so they're like, this guy's, this guy's tall. He's handsome and he's tall and that's our king. How many decisions have you made in your life based on what you could see on the surface? See, Saul looked like a king. So Saul must be a king. We know because we have the benefit of seeing the arc of this whole story that Saul didn't turn out to be the best king. Right? Y'all know? Some of y'all know? Some of y'all know Saul? Tall Saul didn't turn out to be the best king. I didn't say that he was a bad king. I just don't know that I would have done or you would have done a much better job given the circumstances, but he ultimately didn't become, let's just say, everything that he could have become. Right? And sometimes we pick people based on what we see. And so Saul kind of did his thing for a number of years and he won some victories, he lost some battles and became in many ways, if you read the whole story, he was kind of a psychotic man by the end of his life. But he was still tall. 
And somewhere in the saga of this kingship, God decided that he was going to choose a new king. And that's where David comes in. And that's the one you know a lot more about, this King David of the Old Testament. Uh, That's the one that brought down the giant Goliath, remember, with a slingshot. That's the one who went on to be one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest king, the nation would ever know. And I want to show you something that God said to Samuel, the prophet, when he was selecting, and I hope this will help you in your life, because we're all trying to measure some sort of success, right? We're all trying to measure, how do we measure up and measure our potential? And God says something here that I think is an all-time truth. When Samuel's trying to figure out who should be the next king, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Because remember what happened last time. You chose your king based on his height. And it didn't work out so well. He said, don't consider his appearance or his height. This is when the, the, when, when the, when the house of Jesse was going before. Uh, and Samuel was saying, you know what? Don't consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. See, this was one of David's taller brothers that was passing before Samuel. And it was one of the tall boys. And uh, he looked like a king. And so, because the last king they had was tall, and when David's older brother came, he was kind of tall, and he looked like a king. But what Samuel said, uh, what, what, but to Samuel, God said, don't pay attention to what people pay attention to. Don't pay attention to like how long his, his neck is and how tall he is. Don't pay attention to the things that grab your attention right off the bat. Look deeper. He said, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. Don't they? Don't they though? I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's good that we put on our best appearance, right? I mean, you know... Many of you, right? I got, I got dressed today. I wanted to wear something that would look nice for church. And, you know, it would be a good idea for me to kind of dress for the occasion. You know, this ain't what I woke up in. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be in front of people today. So I figured it would be a good idea because people look at the outward appearance, don't they? So I thought I would dress appropriately. Some of you thought the same thing. I'll leave that there. There's nothing wrong inherently with outward appearances, but realize that when it comes to the things that ultimately matter, that the Lord, oh, and He's the only one that can do this, by the way. right? He's the only one that can do this. For all of you who think that you can judge what somebody's capable of or what their motives are, people see this. But the Lord, what does it say? The Lord looks at the what? Heart. This. Roll with me. God looks at what's inside. People measure with a stick. God has a scale. What's inside. The heart. The stick is about the surface. Surface, right? What do they look like? What are they, what are they capable of? The scale is about substance. 
What's inside? What are they made of? Roll with me on this. One of the things about biblical language that's very interesting is that the terms we translate into English have multiple meanings, right, in in the original language. So we can only translate so many from the original language and that there's multiple meanings. So when we talk about the walls that were made of jasper in the book of Revelation and that jasper represents the glory of God, uh, the, the Hebrew word for glory is kavad. And kavad translates, means glory, but it also means weight. Weight. Like weight. Like this kind of weight. Good night if this cracks. Don't y'all judge me. It means weight. People measure this. People measure this. God measures this. Substance. Substance. Hey, how'd you feel about that sermon? I don't know yet. I know how it went in the room, but we got to wait to see how much Wait, it carries after I preach it and the people receive it. I can't measure like this. I don't know. I think we need help measuring more. I think we need to be more selective in what we measure and how we measure. So a few questions. On a practical level, I really want to help you this morning. Um, Because you know there are three or four people, right, in your life, and I know in my life for sure. um, When I was younger, there were three or four people that would measure up my life, right? They would kind of look at me and say, you know what? Um, They told me I probably really wouldn't amount to much in my life. You know, anybody ever experienced, you don't have to raise your hand, but some people look at you and you say, they they don't have that, they sort of have that, you know, I I, I failed out of school and I didn't, I mean, it was, I was, I was, I was a tough, not a good kid, right? for a lot of it. My mom's watching this morning and thank you mom for everything you did for me. But really, and I apologize. Because some people, and she wasn't one of the ones, but I know that some people behind the scenes are like, you know, if this kid doesn't get it together, I don't know how things are going to turn out. So there's a few people that maybe didn't physically tell me, but I, I knew they kind of thought it, that I probably wouldn't amount to much in my life. They were measuring me with what they saw. He's a failure. He's a flunky. He doesn't measure up. And he's not going to be much predicting. And there are hundreds of people since then, and I've, since I've had a relationship with Christ especially, there are hundreds of people, I'm convinced, that I've been able to help. And hundreds of people that I've been able to be a blessing to. That normally I wouldn't have been. And those same people would look and say he wasn't going to amount to much. God doesn't measure with the things that we see. And I don't know if it would have happened for, in my life if I'd have continued to measure myself with what I saw. Because on the surface, yeah, not going to amount to much. But I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. How do you measure yourself? How do you measure yourself 
you, you have to, you have to make a decision as to who gets to size you up. Who are you going to give permission to, to size you up? One thing that can happen with people is people who have sort of a small vision or small dreams for their life, they can use their own stick to try to limit and relegate yours to a lower level. And you've got to reject that. God rejects that. And God says, I don't see people the way people see people. That scripture said. I look at the heart, God says. Substance. What are you made of? God's the only one who knows what He's put in you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He's the only one who knows the content. So He's the only one who gets to determine the capacity. Amen. God knew that David was a great king when he was just a shepherd boy. If you measure yourself according to where you are, what you can see, you'll stay stuck with what you see. I'm a shepherd. Yeah, David, you're a shepherd, but you're also a king. You know, David, if you look at David's life, David was acting like a king before he ever got a crown. He went out to fight Goliath. And he was demonstrating this kind of God-reliance that actually results in a very healthy self-confidence because Saul, remember Saul the tall guy? Tall Saul? Tall Saul was like, David, you can't fight him. You're too little. He's just a boy. And David was like, well, that's how you see me. You see me on the surface. And I am just a shepherd boy if you see me on the surface. But I don't see me how you see me, Saul. I don't see me in the light of what you say about me. I see me in the light of the one that I represent. God made you. And yes, he's bigger than this giant. So let me at him, David said. Spoiler alert for anybody who's concerned. uh, David beats Goliath. So how do I measure myself? Another uh, question to ask is, and this happened in David's life, how do I measure opportunity? How do I measure opportunity? It's interesting that Goliath represented a threat to the nation of Israel, and yet he represented an opportunity to David. Or we might want to say that, that the opposition became David's opportunity. Where he came up on the battle lines and he said, What's going to be done for the man who kills this giant? He found out there was a reward associated with his obedience. But if you measure your opportunities like this, you'll always see the size of the inconvenience. You'll always see the size of the sacrifice. Ah, that's, that's too much. You'll always see the size of the challenge. Like, oh, do you know what that would take to do that? From my life, or from our church, or from the, you know, I tell people, I tell our leadership team all the time, you know what, let's dream big, right? We can't outgive and we can't outdream God. We read, read earlier that He's able to do immeasurably more than we can think or imagine. Any good imaginary guys in here? Any, any, any thoughtful imagination people in here? You kind of like, man, I can see that. I can see this. I have a vision for that. I can see this too. I can see that. I can see all kinds of cool things. And when God lays something on your heart, if you're looking with this, you think, oh, that, well, that's way too big. 
you know, I'm just me. I can't really. We're a small church. We could never. I don't think I could. Because you're looking at what people see. You're measuring how people measure. Instead of how God measures things. He looks at the heart. You realize that you're carrying the name of the Lord God with you. When you go into situations, when you look at a challenge, when you look at a dream or a purpose, or, and you look at something you think, oh, that's too big. You're carrying the name of the Lord God with you, just like David did. And this is very important. David said, you come against me with sword and spear to Goliath, but I come against you, he said, in the name of the Lord God, the God of Israel. He said, so I am carrying the weightiest name there is. The name that is above every name, the scripture says. And I need you to understand, church, that every situation that God sends into your life, you are carrying the name of God with you. What does that mean? You're carrying the character of God, the competency competency of God that is in you. But if you only go by what you see on the surface, you'll miss it. So how do I measure opportunity? Do I measure it by the size of the challenge? Or do I measure it by whose name I carry with me? How do I measure myself? How do I measure opportunity? Here's a good question to ask while we're at it. How do I measure the results? How do I measure whether my life is making a difference whether I'm effective, how you feel about that sermon, Pastor? I don't know. I'll let you know. It's kind of like hard to know how you feel if you're a good parent while you're in the middle of parenting. It's the kind of stuff that you can only see when those kids, when they're about 39 and they cranked out a couple of their own, and you can see that they're taking on some of the values that you've tried to teach them throughout the years. See, if you're trying to measure it while you're in it, At the end of the day, it might not feel like much. Because your investment into a child, your investment into a life, those of you that invest in your retirement portfolio, right? It's incremental. You check that bugger every day, you might be suicidal. Because it's like this. I mean, the bottom falls out, and then it comes, oh, look, and then the bottom falls out again, and then we're back. And I mean, if you look at it every day, you'll go nuts. But it's incremental. If, if I went by church attendance on Easter, man, I'm the man. This, this is going well. The week after Easter, not so much. One great thinker said this, measure, measure each day, not by the harvest you reap, but by the seed that you sow. Wise. What would it be like to live that way? To know that there is a seed and there is a harvest. And there's also time. And some of you are in that time period right now where you're not seeing much. And so the way you size up your situation when you can't see results says everything about your faith and the way that you interpret the spirit experiences of your life. That's another good one. How do I measure experience? What I'm going through right now. How do I measure? Remember Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis? When he was thrown into a prison? 
You can go back and read that whole story, but Joseph is thrown into a prison, thinks he's doing the right things. All of a sudden, he's accused of something he didn't do, and he's thrown into a prison. So how Joseph says, how do I measure this imprisonment? Do I take it as a sign that God has just given up on me? And he's forgotten about me? Or do I really believe that he is for me and that he's with me? How do I measure what I'm going through right now, this experience right now? How do I measure this trial? Do I see this trial I'm going through as a stopping point that I'll never overcome? But when I put it on the scale, this is how we measure as children of God, on the scale. When I put it on the scale, we don't measure it just with a stick, what I can see. Romans chapter 8 is my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. In the entire scriptures, Romans chapter 8. And and I almost memorized all of of chapter 8 at one point in my life. Some of it's slipping away, right? The the butter's slipping off the toast a little, right? The cheese has slipped off the cracker, all that. You, You can use any analogy you'd like, but there's a lot going on. Some things come in and other things have to go. And so, but Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, I'm convinced, here it is, Romans 8, I consider, in other words, I'm convinced that our present sufferings, Paul Paul said this, and he said, the things that I can see right now, present sufferings, and Paul had been through some stuff, I consider that our present sufferings, Paul says, are not worthy of to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Will be revealed. So Paul was learning how to not see things on the surface. But he was worthy, or he was, he was learning how to see things. This isn't even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. I've got to give it some time, Paul says. I'm measuring more. How do I measure myself? How do I measure opportunity? How do I measure the results? And how do I measure this experience that I'm going through? Paul says, I'm not even going to compare the stuff I'm going through because it's not worth it comparing it with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, I measure what I'm going through by the glory of God. Randy, would you come up? Change the way you measure. Change the way you measure. If you change the way you measure, and you get on this this heavenly measurement system, and not the earthly one, you'll realize that your purpose outweighs your pain. This is how I measure. My destiny in Christ outweighs my history. What you've been through and what people called you and and all of that, what you were, is not what you are to become. It's not even worth comparing. Your purpose outweighs your pain. Your destiny outweighs your history. The crown outweighs the cross. Think about this for a moment. If Jesus had measured his ministry moments after the cross, what did he have? He had a disbanded group of derelict followers who couldn't even stay with him through the very thing he was preparing them for. 
But it wasn't about that moment where the disciples were in despair. It wasn't even about that event. It wasn't even about that point in history. It was about the purpose. If you, if you, if you change the way you measure things, you'll say, my hope outweighs my hardship. God's grace outweighs my shame. Anybody going to get a tattoo of that today? God's grace outweighs my shame. This is heaven's metric system. This is the system you've got to get on if you really want to see God use your life and get past the measurements of people and your own self-judgments. The blessing outweighs the burden. And God's favor outweighs my frustration. I'm grateful that His glory weighs more. I am grateful. God doesn't use this measurement system. He designed you. He put in you what you need to accomplish His will. Will you walk with Him? Will you surrender to Him? Because then and only then will you realize when you don't use your own set of measurements, you don't use your own measuring system, but you use God's and it's revealed here in the Scripture. And you realize that you're qualified. You're qualified to live this Christian life in this world. He's designed you. He will give you everything you need. Would you stand this morning? Would you bow your heads with me? We pray today, Father, that you would give us new eyes to see and new hearts to know, God, that you are working all things together for your glory. And God, we declare this morning over everybody that has sized themselves up today inaccurately and, and, and incorrectly, God, that we are going to resize ourselves according to your love, without bounds, without limit. We thank you, Lord, that your love, it is so high and so deep and so wide, God the love of Christ. And we thank you, God, that, that, that love is alive and active and working in us. And thank you, God, that you've called us according to your purpose and that you do qualify those that you call. So, Father, whether they're in a sheep field or raising children or a single parent, or working in a job they hate. We thank you, God, that you see differently than we see. Father, give us your eyes to see. Open the eyes of our hearts. In Jesus' name this morning. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed, my challenge to you this morning is will you disregard the world's measurement system and see you for who God made you to be? Would you surrender your entire life to Him? Not just a compartment that you call religion or church, but would you surrender your life to Him fully? So I'll close by asking you the question, would you surrender to God fully this morning? And if you've never done that, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to do that, leaving here different than you came in this morning. If you'd like to surrender your life to God, give it to Him. Toss aside the world's measurement system and realize who you were created to be and step into that this morning. You would just take a moment to raise and raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to step into all that God has for me. I've been resisting. I've been holding back. But this morning I need to make it, I need to settle it. And become all that God has created me to be. If you've been holding back this morning until now, just slip your hand up right where you are and say, Pastor, I'm, I surrender everything to Him right now. Not just compartments, but the whole my whole life. Discarding the world's measurement system and accepting who God has created me to be. If that's you, say, Pastor, that's me. I'll pray for you. We'll follow up with you. We'll give you what you need to realize that God has created you and He wants nothing more than your whole life. If all hearts and minds are clear, we thank you, Lord, Father, God, for meeting us here today. We thank you, Lord, for this message. Might we take what we've learned from your word and might we take the Holy Spirit's interpretation given to us this morning and might we apply it to our lives, Lord, so that we may leave this place different and we may approach life through your, looking through your eyes, not through the world's eyes or through our own eyes, but God seeing how you measure us up, not how we measure ourselves Father we consider this life and the sufferings herein not even worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus thank you for that promise this morning God we love you thank you for meeting us here we ask these things and this blessing in Jesus precious name and everyone agreed saying amen And amen. God bless you all. Thanks for coming this morning.